1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is God's word. He renewed the call that had been heard for over 200 years. A call that said the day of the Lord was coming. It was a call of judgment. But it was also a call of understanding that God was going to make things right. He made a call of judgment not only to the Israelites, to Judah and to Jerusalem. But he made a call of judgment of judgment on the whole world. Zephaniah, yes, you'll, you'll need to be sure you find him back there in the back of your Old Testament among the 12, uh, what's called the 12, the minor prophets. Zephaniah has a unique message for us and I hope that you'll be blessed by it. Again, he caught, brings forth ancient warnings and sometimes we equate these kind of messages of warning with our own days and circumstances, and, and we should do that. We're called to do that. There's no reason we can't do that. God says, I'm still working in the world, and we're called to say whenever he kind of gets our attention again to say, Lord, what are you trying to say to us? How can we hear you better? How can our lives be more conformed to who you are? So in reality, any time calamity comes around us, and again, this pandemic is that kind of calamity. Our lives have been changed in radical kinds of ways. We no longer get to do things that have just kind of been part of who we, what we've always done and who we've always been. And sometimes we begin to question whether it'll ever stop or is this kind of the day of the Lord? This is the end of things to come. But we also have to ask, how does one who loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength respond to any kind of crisis or calamity? Zephaniah was a prophet that spoke during the early days of King Josiah. Back on Mother's Day, we looked at the life of Josiah and how his mother and some other women that surrounded him had a great influence on him to not go the way of his father and grandfather, the kings who had been so evil, but instead to, to point them towards following God. It seems to be one of the highlight moments in the very end of Judah's uh, life before they were taken into exile by Babylonia. Zephaniah has, is, is apparently uh, the child of the king Hezekiah who was ruling and we read about in Isaiah as, as well as in 2 Kings who was the king over Jerusalem when the Assyrians surrounded the city and began to attack and besiege the city and he called on the name of the Lord in great humility and said 
What, what can we do? And God came in that great day of salvation to redeem them and bring them and save them from the Assyrian invasion. Let's read from Zephaniah chapter 1. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, announces the Lord. Again, that day of the Lord language that's very much, very, gets the idea that what God has created will be deconstructed. And then he goes into some details. I will destroy people and animals alike. Think about day six and day, day six of creation. And then step into day five of creation. And the fish of the waters and the birds of the air I will wipe out. I will destroy sinful people along with their gods, and I will wipe man off the face of the earth, announces the Lord. Very common in this language of the day of the Lord to kind of envision it as cataclysmic changes. God has promised that he won't destroy the whole earth until he comes back and, and makes it all things new. But the writers of the Old Testament recognized the, the way God moved, and, and, and they wanted to convey the seriousness and the the, the breadth of what God was going to bring by talking about the destruction of all things. I will reach out my powerful hand against Judah. I will punish those who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from that place what is left of Baal worship. And the officials and priests who serve other gods will be removed. I will wipe out those who bow down on their roofs to worship all the stars. I will destroy those who take oaths. Hear this language, not only in my name, but also in the name of Molech, that detestable God where babies were placed on a, on a hot metal statue and would roll down into the fire as a sacrifice to Molech. And again, the idea that we're going to mix this pure worship of God with things so detestable like worship of Molech or worship of Baal. I will cut off those who stop following me. They will no longer look to me or ask, for, ask me for advice. Be silent in front of me. You know, that call, be silent in front of me. I am the Lord and King. The day of the Lord is near. Sometimes we take comfort in the idea that the day of the Lord is coming against idolatry and we somehow want to distance ourselves from that. But I think when we look closely and we're honest with ourselves, there are times when we, we kind of try to put, we, we would never say we put anything above God, but we say we, we want to have this with God in our lives. Something that the world offers, the comforts of materialism, the ideas that we can be selfish about some things and it will be okay with God. And what often happens, in fact I would say it happens all the time, is that our what happens is, is those things that we try to put there with God become things that are greater than God. And so they become idols. And so we too become the idolaters that Zephaniah and the biblical prophets speak against. But it doesn't stop there. As is always the case, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, if our thinking about God, our ideas about God, our theology is wrong, then our living will also go astray from what God calls us to and the kind of ethics that God has for those of us who love Him. And in reality, the, the, the morality that best blesses the created beings, those that He created. And so let's see what Zephaniah has to say as we continue in chapter 1. When my sacrifice is ready to be offered, I will punish the princes and the king's sons. I will also judge all those who follow the practices of other nations. 
cut out you who live cry out you who live in the marketplaces so now we've come to this place where business is going on and Jerusalem was a a very profitable business place things came from east and west and they could be traded there and people had figured out how to leverage that to, to become quite wealthy all of your merchants will be wiped out. Those who trade in silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Again, uh, kind of like the detective or the policeman who turns on the flashlight to search a room. God is going to light lamps to look in all the corners. I will punish those who are so. And again, it isn't the idea that being a merchant somehow is sinful by itself. It's that we become contented in our, our worldly things, in our wealth, we become contented in the idea that my, my wealth is enough. The fact that I am, am safe and I can trust in my wealth. It is those who are contented with what they can produce rather than contented with God that Zephaniah is speaking against. They are like wine that has not been shaken up. They think, and here's the big thing, Again, we put things beside God, and then suddenly they become greater than God. They think the Lord won't do anything. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. And then he closes out this section. Their wealth will be stolen. Their houses will be destroyed. And kind of the opposite of what Jeremiah said to those who had been taken into exile in Babylon, Zephaniah says, you're going to build houses. You're going to invest in the future, but... You're not going to live in them. You're going to plant vineyards. Also, again, a big investment in long-term future, but they not drink the wine that they produce. Jeremiah will tell the people who've been taken into exile, be sure you build houses. Be sure you plant vineyards because you're going to be there a while. This is not going to turn around immediately. So, again, it's not just that God, it, the day of the Lord is coming against those who are idolaters, but the day of the Lord is coming against those who ignore God. Those who put things above God, but more than that, those who say there is no right or wrong, or at least God can't do anything about the right and wrong. God isn't caring whether I participate in the brokenness of the world and breaking people who can't defend themselves, can't stand up for themselves. He will then, in chapter 2, set not just... His judgment's not just coming on Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he, he points that judgment in the four poor points of the compass. He will talk about Philistia to the west. He will talk about Ammon and Moab to the east. He will talk about Cush to the south. And then he will talk about Assyria to the north. Assyria who had surrounded and was besieging the city under his great-great-grandfather Hezekiah and who God redeemed them from. But Make no mistakes, at this moment, they are still the ones who are kind of representative of that great abuse of power. And to be sure we get the idea of what it is that the, the nations would be judged for, Assyria is quoted as saying, I am and there is none beside me. I am stronger than any God. I am the great God. And again, this is the language that we should kind of hear echoed in when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush and describes himself as the I am. And now the citizens of Nineveh, Assyria, steps up and said, no, I am the I am. I am the ultimate sense of source and power. There's none besides me. But that's not the end of the story. Judgment in the, in the 
whenever the prophets talk about the day of the Lord, judgment is not the end of the story. Instead, it will always be a call to those who wish to be faithful. I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. Zephaniah concludes with this idea that, that while there may be a, maybe even a majority and all these people that want to invest in things that are contrary to God, I know that there are people who still seek the Lord. I know that there are people who are still meek and humble, who still want to be clay in the hands of God rather than hardening themselves like a rock or like flint that the passage earlier referred to. We want to be what God wants us to be. We don't want to make God what we want him to be. We want God to make us into what he wants us to be. There's always the call to those who trust God and follow Jesus in times of crisis. When things go wrong around us, he always wants us to stop and say, what message am I to get from this? And it doesn't necessarily have to be that everything we're doing is wrong. Instead, it is, I'm calling you to listen to me one more time. I'm calling you to pay attention. I'm calling you to step back and, and again, not say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it all right. I'm okay. I, I don't have any problems. He calls us to be people who say, God, what do you want me to change? How do you want me to be molded? How can I be molded by you? It's a bit like Samuel, who when he finally figured out that it's not Eli called him in the middle of the night, but God, who says, speak, Lord, for I'm listening. I'm attentive to you. I want to conform myself to you. I want to be your person. And so it is that great passage from the book of Zephaniah. The Lord your God will rejoice over you with singing that response to our humble submission that he would rejoice in singing and dancing over us. I love that song that Haas used to lead. There's nowhere else that I'd rather be than dancing with you as you sing over me. Beautiful sentiment and a beautiful picture of God's great love for us. But notice how it contrasts with what we talked from the royal court that Nehemiah served in probably a hundred years later. But in reality, it would be the, the case in any royal court in the ancient Near East. That when you came into the presence of the king, you were to look as if everything was wonderful. Your life was together. There were no problems. You, you didn't have any sadness or brokenness. Instead, you were, you were all together because everything you needed came from that king. Instead, God says, I love you even more when you come to me and say, I'm sorry. I love you even more when you come to me and say, I need to repent. I need to confess. As the passage from 1 John, which we read before the sermon says. When we say we're not sinning, that's what God can't, can't redeem. When we say that there's nothing that I'm doing that could be counted as sin, then we, we really push God away. Instead, God says, come to me in that humbleness. Come to me in that meekness. Come to me in that humility that says, I need you, God. I can't do it myself. And he rejoices over that. If we want to call it weakness, we can. But in reality, it is the great strength that says, I'm going to always acknowledge that I need God above all other things, and I can't do it without Him. I need the gracious, steadfast, overwhelming love of God. 
and it flows in our lives, not when we present ourselves as the, the world would try to convince us. To, I've got it all together. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Don't you want to love me, God? Instead, the text tells us, and Zephaniah really brings this message home, it is when we come in humble submission, again, as clay to be molded by his wonderful potter's hands, and say, I need you, and I want you to shape me, that that love rejoices and dances and sings over us. And so it is that the, the Lord's Supper becomes part of that process. We come to the Supper not with all our stuff together, but we come to the Supper with the idea of, I need you, God. I'm incomplete without the, the body and blood of Jesus. I'm incomplete unless you're in me and I am part of you. And we, we recognize that, that this is a, a, a reflection on great suffering that was given at our, at our, for our benefit. But at the same time, we recognize that as he invites us to this meal and we come approach it with not a, a sense of, I've got everything together, but we approach it with a sense of, I need you, God. God then rejoices in this great celebration of his supper, which we do here and now today and every week, but is a, a little taste of what eternity, the great banquet that's prepared for us in eternity. Isn't it amazing how humble submission sounds so a lot like, Father God, I can't do this myself. I need Jesus and I need your spirit to be who you have created me to be. That's always his invitation, come to me. And that's always the response he's looking for. When we submit to the waters of baptism, we're submitting to the idea that I can't do it myself and I need you. We're putting him on in a way that is very much about humble submission to what he wants. When we come confessing, we are saying to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but even more to our Father and God, I can't do this without you. It's not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of trusting in him and knowing how much we want him to be part of our lives. I want to invite you to, in any way, to reach out to any of our elders, which if you're part of our church family, you can find on Instant Church Directory. You're welcome to reach out to a friend with those kind of confessional hearts. I need to incorporate God more fully into my life, whatever it may be. I encourage you to respond. If you are someone who needs to find, a, a, you, you are in need of saying, I need God more than, more than he's part of me, and I can't do it myself, and, and you would like to reach out to us in maybe a, a more confidential way, then feel free to text us your message, and we'll, we will most certainly return your message. Reach out to you, 979-217-3300. The number's right there on your screen. And I hope you'll take advantage of that. We're going to sing a song. I pray that you'll sing with this heart of, I need you, Father. On bidden knee, I come before you. But we also recognize that when we come in that humble, submissive fashion, he comes to sing and dance and rejoice in the joy of the Lord over us.